Pushed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Depay! And he stretched it! Pornay finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still! Oh my word, what a goal! Golovin! Lovely finish! Must be the opening goal. Benedetto! And Bagnon! Fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Higher again! A goal back! Oh, Benedetto! Beautifully done! Sensational! Coming up on Le Beaujeu, Lyon crushed Saint-Étienne in the derby, but it's PSG and Lille who continue to set the pace at the top as Monaco stage a comeback nearly as impressive as David Crossan's return from Guadeloupe. We will also offer you the chance to get a piece of Depay. Yes, that's right, Memphis Depay's shirt is up for grabs this week, so do stay tuned. We have a special competition for you and the chance to uh, to win a shirt from the Leon captain. So welcome back, David Crossan. Um, welcome back to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast. How were your two weeks in Guadeloupe? Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Ligue 1 games kick off, well, the evening games kick off at four in the afternoon over there. It's all very civilised, five-hour time difference. That's what I wanted to ask you, David. Have you been keeping uh, abreast of everything going on in the French top flight? Obviously, even with a certain sports newspaper having been on strike for my entire holiday. Well, you know, Dave's found a, a loophole in this current uh, uh, tricky, difficult pandemic that we're, that we're experiencing. Of course, people you know, not travelling much, can't travel to other countries, but uh, of course, Guadeloupe's in France. So it's just, you know, it's just, you're just popping over to the West Indies, aren't you? Yeah, just going to check out where Lillian Turan was born and uh, a host of other top players who have come from that part of the world. Plenty of football talent there. Plenty of football talent and uh, expertise across the table from me. Robbie Thompson is here. How are you, Robbie? Very well, thank you, Matthew. Welcome back, Dave. Pleasure to be here as always. Lovely Oceana Club of the Century shirt. South Melbourne Hellas. That's right. Melbourne talking about talent. Well, we're going to talk more about the League of Talents and a bit less about Australian soccer. Um, the big match... Uh, at the weekend. Well, actually, there were quite a few big matches and it was really hard to choose one big one. But when Saint-Étienne play Lyon, it always uh, takes the headlines. This was a tough one for Saint-Étienne. They had a number of players missing due to COVID-19. Um, here is how it went at the Stade Rofwagishard. Andy Scott is your commentator. Memphis Depay delivers it again and it's fallen to Tino Cadaware. And the man who scored the two goals when Lyon won the last derby in November has got the breakthrough here this evening. Dubois' free kick, another high ball into the box. There have been plenty of them in this first half and it's buried by Marcelo and it's 2-0 Lyon. Dubois swings it in and it's a carbon copy. Marcelo with another header and it's 3-0 Lyon. Picked up by Memphis Depay. Look at the run being made by Toko Kambi. Instead, Depay's gone to Tino Kadaweri. Can he get his second of the night? He can. It's another derby double for Tino Kadaweri. Depay's ball in. He's met by the head of Toko Kambi. Glanced in. They have their fifth goal. The Leon players uh, coming across to congratulate Depay. See who got the final touch. If anybody got a last touch to that one. Oh, there you go. It came up Buanga. It's an own goal. So an incredible 5-0 victory that you may have uh, watched if you're in the UK on uh, on BT Sport. Saint-Étienne, uh, well, 
they struggled, didn't they, Robbie? They they went behind early on. Tino Cadoueri is just remarkable um, against Saint-Etienne. He scored a double in both games against Lever, a double as well from Marcelo. And what's incredible is that Leon hadn't actually scored from a dead ball situation, apart from penalties, uh, this season. And four of their five goals came from set pieces. I heard an incredible stat that it was something like 286 corners from which they hadn't scored from what, the opening day of last season until this game against uh, Saint-Étienne. Uh, back-to-back corner headers for Marcelo. And I think Denny Boenga's own goal was from a, a set piece as well. Very disappointing Saint-Étienne, but I think there are there are reasons for it. There, one of the reasons is that they're a side low on confidence, that they're slipping dangerously towards the relegation zone, and Lyon are a, a good team with good players and have, and are playing well. There's also the COVID-19 situation, Matt, you mentioned that they had players missing. Um, they also had players coming back from COVID. And whatever you say about that, and we don't know how, how serious their COVID cases were, but that also leaves... If nothing else, it means you didn't train with your teammates for for a week, 10 days. So that has an effect as well. All of those elements mean that that this was set up for for Leon to do what they did. And they they did it. But it was disappointing from Saint-Étienne. But I don't think we can expect too much more from Puel's kids at the moment. Yeah, trouble with with COVID. But Robbie, this isn't something that's, you know happened in the last couple of weeks just looking at Saint-Étienne's score. Oh, the week score. before they were without 20, No, I know. Okay. In the, yeah, people. but Robbie, it's one win in 18 for yes, Saint-Étienne. Exactly. One I, win I did in 18. Preface the covid thing by no, no, saying I'm not, they were hopeless. I'm not I'm not. <laughs> I'm not uh, diminishing what what you say, Robbie. They went on a run of draws, but it's now three defeats in a row and I, I think you're right. I think they are being dragged into a relegation dogfight perhaps with another um, famous historical French club Nantes. If you look at the standings uh, we've got five teams that are that are cut off, really, at the bottom now. Dijon, Nîmes and Lorient are in the bottom three. Uh, Dijon, 18th. they got 15 points, same as Nîmes. Um, but Saint-Étienne only have 19. Nantes only have 18. And um, Dave-Claude Puel, uh, he's, he's struggling badly. He is. And wherever Puel goes, he has a, a major influence on the club. He likes to be a, a proper manager in the old English sense rather than the French coach who just concentrates on the first team. And, that, and that's all well and good, but you need the results on the field. And they're, yeah, they're only four points above the bottom two. Nantes haven't won since Raymond Dominic came in and they're only three points above the bottom two. And it's going to be a long, hard few months for both those clubs. Absolutely. As far as Lyon are concerned, though, Robbie, absolutely vital. Of course, they get they got back to winning ways, having lost to Mets the, the previous weekend. They're two points behind Lille and PSG. We'll talk about those two who got big wins as well at the at the weekend. Vital for Lyon to, to have got that win and to do it so well must be a massive confidence boost. Absolutely. They needed to bounce back. They'd been on a fantastic run. I think it was 15 or 16 games without defeat. It was the best run in, in, in Europe at the time before that loss to Metz. But that was important that that didn't knock their confidence around too much. They were knocked off top spot, they, they, that first defeat against a mess side who were playing well, but really shouldn't be troubling more than that, the top, the top three or four in the league. Um, but they bounced back well, and they did it via set pieces. It's like uh, Marcelo's come full circle, hasn't he, with his two goals. Katawiri, yes, fantastic for him to score those two. You say that it was that game against uh, Saint-Étienne that really burst him onto the scene, wasn't it, for Leon? Those two goals in the derby first time round this season. Um I think he offers a lot to that team in in the fact that he's a tireless worker, that he that he runs hard, and thanks to his confidence at the moment, and Leon obviously saw it last year in in Ligue 2, 
he can find the back of the net, and that is crucial. But for me, he's not he's not a, a, a world class player just yet, at any rate. Nine goals in in, in the league, Dave. Best Zimbabwean since Benjani. Perhaps even better than nah, he's Benjani. Benjani for sure. Uh, I quite liked his post match interview that he did on French TV last night when he was asked about Karim Benzema's tweet encouraging him and. What I liked about it is he's a, a humble man. I also like the fact that he said he didn't have a Twitter account, so he wasn't aware of the tweet until after the game, but it might have inspired him to score more goals. Um, fair play to Rudy Garcia as well, because I saw a probable team listed in the papers yesterday that suggested that after the setbacks that he might have been tempted to change his formation and play Slimani as part of a front two with Kadawari and Tokwe Kombi wide. And I saw that and I thought that looks like a terrible idea. That's really lopsided. Why rip up something that's gone so well? And I think, I hope that Garcia has made it very clear to Islam Slimani, who's a fine player, that his role is back up to that front three and that unless things go horribly wrong, he's going to stick to the 4-3-3 system that has served them so well. Yeah, or that he has to earn, he has to earn his place, that he's not going to walk into the side either for, for Slimani. But he, he stuck by that. He didn't, you know, Moussa Dembele's left and gone to Atletico Madrid now. He's shown that he wants to play with these these three up front with Depay as this false nine type role with the pace wide of of Kadawiri and Carl Tokawakambi. It it's working. I agree with you. You wouldn't change it. And I don't. Yeah, I don't think Slimani's come in to play in this system. But if he if he offers something different, he is, as you say, a a good option for them on the bench. Well, Dave, I thought you were a little bit dismissive of my good friend Benjani there. Cracking, cracking player yeah, for Oxair back back in the day. I, I <laughs> think Benjani, honestly, I think Benjani had a, at this stage, from what I've seen of Tino Kedawere, I think Benjani had a little bit more. I uh, think Benjani's got a great highlights reel if you go on to the, think the to, internet yeah. and look at his goals. But I think Kedawere is uh, he's adapted to this different position that he's playing at Lyon compared to the one he had at Le Havre when he was an out and out number nine under Paul Le Guen. And he's done it superbly. And uh, I think. Lyon have, down the years, have specialised in this role of the wide attacker, the sort of Sylvain Wiltord, mm-hmm. Sidney Govu type. And so for me, this current generation is is very much in the line of that team that helped them win the seven titles. It's a fair point, Dave, because I think even Karim Benzema started in that wide left position, didn't he? When he had like the likes of Fred and Carew, who were the, the, the leading number nine strikers in that team. And Benzema was often on the left side, cutting inside onto his right, and look at him now. So perhaps, yeah. Perhaps yep. Florian Maurice, uh, Bernard Lacombe, Flori Dinello. We could, we could keep going back through the years yeah. or not. Um, but I know I agree. I like Tino. I think he's got, uh, you know, he's, he's got a big, uh, big potential. Perhaps he could be the next Peter Unlovu. But anyway, let's move off Zimbabwe. Um, Memphis Depay, by the way, was excellent. He was the guy pulling the strings again in that 5-0 win. And we have his shirt up for grabs. Little competition coming up for you later. But uh, before then, we're going to talk about one of the other big, big matches. Monaco versus Marseille. Uh, Andre Villas-Boas, the Marseille coach, under big pressure. All the pre-match talk was uh, about what he admitted really that Florian Tovan and Dimitri Payet are not getting on and you know there do seem to be problems in the Marseille ranks they did manage to secure the signature of Milik before that game he started on the bench here is what happened at the uh, Stade Louis De- and again it was Andy Scott commentating Radonjic is in here Radonjic scores and Marseille are in front a superb start to the game for a team and uh, a club who have Slumped into a crisis in the last few days. 
corner. It's met by the head and it's in. And Monaco are level and it's Guillermo Maripan. The big centre-back who has chipped in with his fair share of goals in recent weeks. He's done it again. Mullivan's oh, oh. ball in and the header. It's in from Chuameni who got to it before Mandanda. Free kick is in. Oh, what a tremendous strike by Jovetic. He buried it. And he's buried Marseille in the process. It's 3-1 Monaco. What a cracking game and uh, Monaco superb in the in the second half to stage that uh, fight back. And they're just sort of clinging onto the coattails, aren't they, of the, uh, of the top three. Uh, you have to say, Dave, Niko Kovac doing, doing a terrific job because when you look at that game, you know, they... They thoroughly deserve to beat Marseille. They did, and they came from behind to do it. And his squad has got stronger and stronger. The return of Golovin, who uh, provided two assists in that game against Marseille, has really helped them. Uh, we had a, a glimpse of what Jovetic can do, even if he can't run that much anymore, with the, that outstanding free kick, free kick of the season so far Fantastic. for me. Clocked at over 100 kilometres an hour, apparently. And uh, They've tightened up defensively. Guillermo Maripan might be getting headlines for the goals he's scored recently. I think he's got three and four, but uh, he's done well, I think, replacing Axel Dizassi at the back. Uh, and they're also scoring plenty from set pieces. And apparently the credit for that has to go to Niko Kovac's brother, Robert, who is the person who drills them for the set pieces. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't know that. But uh, we, we got a comment. We got an email in from one of our listeners, Nofal Oladana, who says that... Uh, out of Monaco's 42 goals, 19 of them, including six penalties, have come from dead ball situations. That's nearly half of them. One of the highest tallies in the league. What's your opinion? So, Dave, you're suggesting Robert Kovac is, is uh, largely responsible for this uh, efficiency from set pieces. Yeah, they work on them a lot. Um, they've got a lot of set piece takers in their team. Golovin had the assists there, but we've also seen this season the likes of Gibral Sidibe or Cesc Fabregas or Jovetic taking set pieces. They've got so many options and they've got good targets as well In with the likes of Maripan, Volant's uh, a tall player. And uh, yeah, I think they're going to keep scoring goals from set pieces, throwing the other centre-backs as well. Badia Schiel and Disassi threats from set pieces too. Dave, you mentioned Kevin Volland, who was on a brilliant run, five goals in five games before the weekend. He was influential again against Marseille. Uh, we had the pleasure of chatting to Kevin Volland recently um, a lot of people were surprised when he left uh, Bayer Leverkusen to come to Monaco he's proving to be a superb signing um, Armel Tangi our colleague spoke to him and he notably asked him about his uh, his partnership his relationship in attack with Wissam Ben Yedda and Jelson Martins. I played in the middle for Leverkusen quite a lot. Sometimes out wide too, but not so much that it became a habit. It's working better and better. At the start, you're looking at what they do on the pitch, and they're doing that for me too. But it's coming together better all the time, and we've seen that in recent games. Monaco have a history and have enjoyed success internationally. Not success in terms of trophies, perhaps, but they've always played in European competition in recent years. So we have to make sure that we achieve that. 
that we finish in the top five. If at the end of the season we're second or third or whatever, then we'll be happy too. But first we have to work. That's the most important thing. Yes, Kevin uh, Volland, very clear then about uh, his ambitions and, and Monaco's ambitions. We got an email in from another listener, Richard Pike, who is asking us if Monaco... Um, can go for the title this season after their win over Marseille. Uh, Richard points out that their next four games are against Nantes, Nice, Nîmes and Lorient before they travel to PSG. Uh, Robbie, the, the gap isn't huge, is it? What do you six reckon? Points. Six yeah, points. Six points between Monaco and PSG and Lille. Um, I think it will take the others to slip up, obviously. That's just uh, maths, basic maths. And I was never very good at maths, but um, I think I stand... Uh, on firm ground in yeah, saying I that. Yeah, I confirm that, Rob, you're right. <laughs> um, I think they're they're an excellent side. I think they're, they're equal to Lille. I think they're probably a shade better than Lyon in terms of potential. Um, even though Lyon have more in place at the moment, I think things are really starting to click for Monaco. I think Kovac and his brother are doing a fantastic job. Um I think the fact that Golovin is back, you've got Jovetic on the bench, a bit player. They've got the new signing, Keprin Diata, Krepin Diata. You've got Pellegrini, Pellegri, the, the young Italian kid. I'll get these names right. <laughs> but Pellegrini You're doing is well, a, Rob. You're doing well. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very talented young player as well who is still a teenager. He signed there when he was just a, just a kid. They've got other very good young players as well coming through who aren't ready, as we saw at the start of the season just yet. I'm thinking of the likes of, of Matsima at the back of Metazo, um, even Axel Di Sassi, who, who was disappointing, um, despite the fact that he's a bit older, had a bit more experience and we, we expected more. They're flying, and, and Folland and Ben Yedda. Ben Yedda, he may not have been scoring so much. He scored twice against Montpellier the week before, but he's been on a bit of a, a, a drought, but he is a superb footballer. He is a, a brilliant player. He attracts the attention. He makes space. For Folland, you've got Aguilar, who's playing higher up. Kovac is not changing this side around either. He's not, he's not mixing and matching. He, he's settled on what looks like a starting eleven. Golovin coming back may cause him a few headaches. Sofian Diop is enjoying his best season. And they've got... It's, it's all positive. Whether they can make up that six points, that's, a, that's a, a, another question. So top three, if things go well, you think uh, is, is manageable? Yeah, I think, I think top three is... Which, which would be a great achievement. Dave, what do you Absolutely. reckon? I, I think they're going to finish fourth. I think they're in exactly the position that they'll end up in. Uh, they are possibly the team that I enjoy watching most because you always guarantee goals when you watch Monaco. They've scored 42. They've conceded 30. They have their vulnerabilities, even if they have improved in that department. I think the, the key to their tactical setup nowadays is the Charmeni-Fofana partnership in the centre of midfield, that they just sit there and that allows the the fullbacks and the other attacking players licensed to do what they do. I, I know Charmeni got on the score sheet at the weekend, but first ever goal. But for, uh, those two, they they're good young midfielders, and that they are vital to Monaco's hopes of a top three finish. Fellas, uh, four defeats in ten days for Marseille and Andre Villas-Boas, including defeats at home to Nîmes, at home to Lens. Um, Andre Villas-Boas is. Um, being a little bit eccentric in his communications. I, I commentated the game against Lens where in the second half Marseille were dreadful and it honestly looked like they'd given up any sort of hope of trying to get back into the, that game. Chiletta Tsar said it wasn't good enough. Mondonda said it wasn't good enough. And then Villas-Boas came out and said, 
um, that his players gave everything and he wanted to 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 applaud them for that, which was bizarre. Um, is he is he on, on his way out? What, what do we think, Robbie? I mean, Marseille, you know, until recently we were saying they got two games in hand, they could still invite themselves no, into this title race. Everyone was... So happy with well, they were grind- as well. Well, yes, but well, they were grinding out results as they did for much of last season. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, but when you play this sort of minimalist football that they've done, it it's okay when you're getting one nil wins. But as soon as you start losing and you're the Marseille manager, you're in big trouble. Yeah, but they're. I mean, I you you guys often say that I'm not very critical of coaches and players. Look at the the team sheet. There's no Boubacar Camara. There's no Rangier. There's no Sanson. There's no Strotman. So your midfielders that you started the season with, your first choice midfield, are not there. Payet is, is, is doing it tough at the moment, has obviously problems with the coach. There's a problem in the relationship there. But that, I mean, Sanson left the day of the game. Rangier was injured. Boubacar Kamara is an excellent player. He, he was missing. So there are... You yeah. sound, it's funny, you sound like the coach. That's what Villas-Boas <laughs> was saying before the game. Rangier's injured, uh, Morgan Sonsar. Look, well, but these you are, could, these no, are Robbie, you can when you've got that. a side that's low on confidence, a side that's just lost to, that at home two games, it's, that's playing difficulty with difficulties. You've got Alvaro Gonzalez, who at the end of the game uses an expletive 10 times in Robbie. his post-match interview to explain how the team is playing. That means morale is, is rock bottom. You can do without having your entire midfield on the bench. True. And, or you know, out. I don't think there's any shame in losing to this Monaco side, but what happened before against Lens and, and Nîmes was unacceptable from a, from a Marseille point of view. The second, have... ha- the second half performances, because you can say, yeah, these players are out, but even if you've only got Valer Germain, uh, Radonjic, who, you know, who was bought for quite a lot of money, Benedetto, you know, these are players who would all be playing for Nîmes and who would all be playing for Lens, and Marseille should be doing better than that. Well, I'll just quickly say one more, <laughs> one more point before Dave jumps in. Um, AVB, when he came out in the press before the game as well, in the pre-match press conference and said, my two best players or my two, you know, Payet and Tovan certainly won't be going on holidays together. But this is a problem in the, in the dressing room and it's not the first time you've had two players that, uh, that don't get on in the dressing room. That, that really surprised me. A lot of people have tried to defend it saying, look, everyone knows they're not, they're not good friends and that there are problems in the, the changing room. It's not the coach's job to, to talk about that. A, a dressing room, and he's, he's been trying to defend them, as you said, Matt, in a difficult situation after matches where he's tried to say, you're playing well, the guys are giving it everything, when that is harder to defend than then coming out and saying, plus my two, my two playmakers you know, don't even talk to each other and won't go on holiday together. I, think, I find that really strange in his communication. It's a classic scenario, isn't it? This happens whenever things start to unravel either at Olympique de Marseille or at Paris Saint-Germain because he's also looking for the mole in the club. And whenever things go badly, you try to find the mole who's leaking all of this information. I, I didn't really have a problem actually with him saying that Payet and Tovan wouldn't go on holiday together. It had been thought their relationship, which wasn't great when they were both at the club first time around, had improved, but there are clear fractures this season. On the field, I think it's just all of the problems that we'd identified, even when they were grinding out the results, have come back to haunt them. Their lack of mobility, their lack of uh, finding that individual who can make something happen when they're not playing that well. It's just not happening for them anymore. And they've now going to have to pin all of their hopes on Arcadius Milik, who we know is a fine goal scorer, but is obviously short of match fitness. He played half an hour at the weekend. Uh, He's big, strong, good goal scorer. 
but he needs to have the impact that Balotelli did when he joined a couple of years ago if Marseille are going to hopefully, for their sake, challenge for a European finish. Otherwise, I can see them sliding down to mid-table obscurity, particularly with Villas-Boas out of contract in the summer and potential transfer business that might happen before the window shuts. One of the most curious things about this season is the fact that they were able to stay at the top of the table during the Champions League when they had the extra busy calendar when they were losing all those yeah, they weren't putting in much the effort in in League. the Champions League, perhaps. Yeah, but now they're not even playing that, and they're they're just slipping and sliding all the way down. It's it's incredible. Yeah, Milik uh, barely got a touch of the ball uh, after coming on against Monaco. He might discover that playing up front in Dario Benedetto's position isn't that easy. I would say, you know, you know, I I, I didn't go on holiday with David Crossan uh, this week. I would have liked to, but but that doesn't mean that we can't do a podcast together and you know, get on and I can set him up. He can set me up. Absolutely. No comment. No comment. Um, <laughs> you're listening to me rambling on uh, um, Le Bourgeois, Ligue 1's uh, official podcast in association with, with BT Sport. Time for our, for our Deja, Deja Who. I know it's the highlight for, for many of our listeners. They love trying to, trying to guess who we're talking about. Um, last week, this was the clue. I was a Brazilian forward who had Pelé as a teammate during my single season in France. Rudy Garcia took over as coach of my French club, Le Mans, just as I moved on to a major league where I became a title winner and the division's top scorer. The name of my agent, Pascal Carbon, could not have been more appropriate. Very nice clue from our producer, Ian Holyman. The answer, Grafitch. Grafite? Grafitch? Yeah, great player. The Brazilian forward who went and... uh, Played brilliantly. I remember at, at Wolfsburg. He fantastic did, at Le Mans as well. Yeah, in, he did well for Le Mans season. Yeah. yeah, very good, very good player. We did get plenty of uh, right answers. Adam, should, Adam Cyrilnik thought this one, one was outrageous, but he got it right. Simon Klopfenstein, Omar Baziz, Omar, who uh, very kindly said that we make Mondays much better than what they usually are. Thank you, Omar. Uh, Niels Part, Thomas DeRoy, and Habib Bar all getting. That right. I was just going to say, I think we should do a little uh, Le Mans retro uh, pod, or at least a, a mini pod, because they had quite a team. They were a good team. They were on their way up. They had they built yeah. a new stadium, and then it, it all just went completely pear-shaped. Yeah, I, I remember but, yeah, saying that Mathieu Coutadeau was going to be the next Glenn Hoddle, but I also said that Benoit Pedretti would be the next Glenn Hoddle. So had, I, I've got that wrong a few times. Grafic, they had um, Marco Bascia, the Montenegrin central defender, who was a very good player. They had Matsui, Daisuke Matsui, the Japanese winger. Giavino was there, uh, who went on to have a fantastic career. They had they had good players. Yeah, they're struggling, struggling in Nacional at the moment. Um, Robbie, we'll we'll stick with the Deja Who. Uh, If you think you know the answer to this week's Deja Who, get in touch on the email league1podcast at gmail.com or using the hashtag Deja Who on Twitter. Here we go. I was born 16,000 kilometres from my first club, Nîmes, but really made my name at Rennes. I played on both sides of the Rhone Derby, both sides of the Channel and both sides of the Atlantic. I ended my career by playing back on the other side of the world with Nicola and Elka. That's a tricky one. Another tricky one. Ian Holyman is, is pushing our listeners hard at the moment, but I think they're capable of rising to the challenge. Uh, the next big game, uh, Robbie Thompson, get ready. We're talking PSG. PSG played host to Montpellier at the Parc des Princes on Friday night. And uh, Robbie, 
was the commentator. In the chances here for Mbappe. And Mbappe scores. With Montpellier reduced to just nine men. Kylian Mbappe takes full advantage. Oh, good ball for Mbappe. In behind them, Mbappe, the cutback. And Neymar scores. The assist from Kylian Mbappe. And in his 100th match for Paris Saint-Germain, it's goal number 81 for Neymar Jr. Neymar again, and this could get very painful for Montpellier now. Florenzi drives it in, and Icardi scores. 3-0. Two goals in two minutes with Neymar. Four forward for Paris. The pass for Icardi. The square ball for Mbappe. Fantastic football. All too easy for the French champions. So, Robbie, um, a good win. Mbappe, Neymar, back to something like their best. Montpellier down to 10 men early. Um, fairly, fairly routine in the end. It was. It was routine. I was uh, looking forward to this one. PSG have enjoyed fantastic results at home to Montpellier. I think they're 5-0, 5-1, 4-0, the previous three results at home to Montpellier. Um, it was the case again, 4-0 again on Friday night. Um, but it really did change with the sending off uh, just before the 20-minute mark in the first half. Jonas Omlin, uh, who came charging outside his box, he fouled Mbappe just outside the area. The referee gave him a yellow card at first. No one could quite believe it. It was spectacular, the foul. Um, and then the referee went to have a look at it. I think there were other players covering or running back as well. So it wasn't certain that Mbappe was going to score, but just the the violence of the challenge, I think, in the end from Omlin. He went he went knees first, you know, the way a goalkeeper will fly out with the, the knees in front. It could easily have broken a leg of, of Kylian Mbappe. So I think the red card was, was the right call. Um, and down to 10 men, it was always going to be tough for Montpellier. They then had, they lost uh, Florent Mollet to injury midway through the half, just 10 minutes later. So that, that really put paid to them. Their 4-4-1 their four, four, formation had sort of a 4-5-0 formation had Teji Savanier playing as their most advanced player. Gaetan Laborde, without his partner in crime, Andy Delors, who was injured on the eve of the match, was playing left wing back um, for much of the game. It was a difficult night for Montpellier, and Paris Saint-Germain took full advantage. It was Neymar's 100th match for Paris Saint-Germain. He got on the score sheet. Kylian Mbappe, after four games without a goal, got a double. Mauro Icardi scored, so that was all green lights uh, for them. We saw Paredes and Verratti continuing in their holding role in midfield with Verratti already back from that higher number 10 role, which he played in the first two games under Pochettino. Um, solid performance all round from Paris Saint-Germain. The last goal scored by Kylian Mbappe, his second, is, is really nice as well. Neymar winning the ball back, pass for him for Icardi, Icardi's assist, beautiful football. Yeah, good, good result for Paris Saint-Germain, but honestly... Montpellier are doing it tough. Seven games without a win for them. They were down to 10 men. They lost Mole. It wasn't the best performance for them. Robbie, do you feel that there is um, a more positive, perhaps like a calmer atmosphere at Paris Saint-Germain, the, the change of coach? We know there was tension behind the scenes in the last weeks under Thomas Tuchel. Do you feel that, that it's, a, it's, it's a better place in terms of the atmosphere at the moment? I think the biggest thing about them is the players are returning from injury. And that... That means that there's more competition for places. 
It's been a difficult one with the new coach coming in because as soon, no sooner was he there for a week than he had COVID and he was out as well. So he wasn't at training for all the week. He came just back the day before um, the game against Montpellier. So he wasn't even he wasn't even there. But yes, there's a there's a good feeling. I think when there's a, a change in coach, the players know they have a clean slate. Those that weren't playing have to have a chance to try and perform. Those that were playing a lot know they have to to lift their game as well. And I think yeah, there's a there's a positive feel around the club. But I, I I'm not sure how how spiteful it was in terms of Thomas Tuchel and the playing staff anyway. Um, but in a club environment. Look, they're back top of the table. Players are coming back from injury and, and things are positive. Yes. Yeah, DC, uh, four wins in a row for PSG. It's their, it's their title to lose, really, isn't it now? It is. It always has been, even when Tuchel was in charge and even when they weren't top of the table. Um, what are we seeing from Pochettino? We're seeing that he is trying to get his players to work a little bit harder, even those who you might not expect to work hard. I don't think he's going to turn Neymar into Son, but it was interesting to... Here, Pochettino talk up the way Neymar tracked back after that game. So putting the emphasis on those aspects rather than the the goals and the highlights that you'll see online on the official YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's early days. He's building up to the Barcelona Champions League match, which is, is going to be huge to Paris Saint-Germain's season. And then looking forward... The, the big thing that Paris Saint-Germain have to sort out is the future of Mbappe and Neymar because they've only got 18 months left on their respective contracts. And Mbappe talked a little bit about that after the game, saying that he's thinking hard about his career. And it was such a massive statement when PSG signed both those players in 2017. The whole project could easily have gone the other way had they not made that audacious swoop, that audacious double swoop that summer. And I'd really like to see both of them today. And I hope they do. Absolutely. I don't think Pochettino should try to change Neymar into Son, to be fair. I think it's good to have Neymar, personally. Yeah, Neymar's not a bad player. 80, 81 goals in 100 games, competitive games for Paris Saint-Germain, plus 41 assists. So uh, Compare that to Son, Dave. Son's having a great season, isn't he? But he's not Neymar. No, but more seriously, Pochettino's going to have to decide whether he can play the, the Fantastic Four or Keenan in place of Icardi when it comes to the Barcelona match or is that going to leave them too exposed and to be fair comment fair comment fair comment but I just want to stay on the Korean angle because we've got our flying Korean in uh, in Ligue 1 Juan Huizhou who cracked in two goals against Angers to help Bordeaux um, to a 2-1 win and uh, Bordeaux are actually up to to seventh now although I admit I probably would prefer Son but uh competition time guys uh, I mentioned there is a Memphis Depay Leon shirt up for grabs a fantastic uh, prize uh, that we're able to offer thanks to our friends at the uh, at the French League now in order to win this shirt you need to record yes that's right record your favorite Memphis Depay League arm moment we want to hear your commentary it can be up to 30 seconds long you choose a moment, you commentate it. We want to see energy, enthusiasm. We want to see quality in your delivery. And uh, we really look forward to, to hearing from you and selecting the best commentary. So send it as an audio file, please, to league1podcast at gmail.com. Treat it as a, as a, 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 a tryout because perhaps you'll be replacing us as League One commentators on the world feed well yeah there could actually be some places up for grabs seriously so um yeah concentrate get some good comms in uh competition deadline is the 7th of february 
Leon play Strasbourg uh, the night before. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be announcing the, uh, the winner on February the 8th in the podcast. So a great competition for you. Um, we've still got one more game to talk about, plus transfer updates, some interesting uh, news coming in this morning with regards to Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel, um, Tuchel being linked. But uh, before we talk about that, let's talk about Ren against Lille, which was a really important game, fifth against second at kickoff time. I was lucky enough to be commentating this one. Here's the action from Rosen Park. Firm low shot from Jonathan David, who's looking to add to his three league goals so far this season. Now the corner that Roman Sullen doesn't deal with. And it's been turned home by Jonathan David. A very smart finish from the young attacker who does now have his fourth league goal. Yeah, so Jonathan David uh, producing the goods again. His second goal in as many games, having grabbed a late winner against Rouse. He scored early after... Yeah, Roman Salan didn't deal very well with the uh, with the corner from Yazici. And it was interesting because after that, Lille basically let Ren have the ball and they seemed to have just total confidence, total faith in their defensive unit, the midfield and uh, obviously the back four where Botman and Font were just absolutely superb. And uh, they they very much played within themselves. But this, you know, we look at the scores over the weekend, massive victory for for, for PSG, a massive victory for Leon as well in the derby. But I, I think this was the biggest of the lot because to go to Rosen Park and to win, and you saw the Leon reaction at, at, at full time, Galtier went absolutely berserk. You know, this, this was massive, Robbie, and it, it's sending a message. I feel that, you know, we're under pressure mm-hmm. because even though Leon are not saying it, they are believing in their chances. They are going for the title. Of course they are. And they went to Wren, who were on a run of five wins and two draws. They went there and they got three points. Absolutely. Ren are a good side. Ren are a team in form. They're, they're, they've bounced back. They've had some good wins. If you look at Lille's recent results as well, well, since the turn of the year, it hasn't been great. They lost 2-1 to Angers. I think they beat Nîmes only 1-0. Yeah. Then 2-1 last minute victory over Reims. Then here again, 1-0 um, against, well, against the run of play, not necessarily, but certainly without possession of the ball, without looking that dangerous either. I mean, I watched the game... I I was a bit not disappointed, but I'll I'll agree with you insofar as what is impressive about this run of Lille is that they're only going to get better. Their form will come back because we know that teams go through these troughs where they where they they struggle a little bit, and they're getting results. Three wins for that for that one loss um, since the turn of the year. They're important points, and they will get better because they have just too much quality to 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 not. Yeah, keep playing better than this and they will come back and that's when they will be really dangerous it, it wasn't a win against the run of play just because Ren no. didn't really create clear chances and Lille did particularly in the first 20-25 minutes but yeah once they once they'd got the goal they pretty much uh, shut up shop and Dave they but did maybe it. they knew that Ren with the ball would struggle to score because Ren don't well don't I just have think that yeah brilliance uh, either uh, heading forward they don't have that striker at the moment they don't have that source for goals. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, they, they lacked a little bit in attack, Ren, but I think Botman is so impressive um, alongside alongside Jose Font. And Dave, they, they were doing it as well without Burak Yilmaz, who was injured again. Renato Sanchez came on in the last 15 minutes. He, he did one unbelievable move where he jinked past past two players. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great result and they are still looking very, very solid. Good squad. They know the way they want to play. Christophe Galtier doesn't change things around in terms of his style. Botman and Font I'd have in my league and team of the season to date for sure. They've conceded only 15 goals 
this season. They know how to get results. They work as a team, which is really important. And they've got that quality. And if David can carry on coming up with winners, then who knows what they'll achieve. You said it already, Matt, that publicly they're not going to say that they're going for the title. And I think Galtier's right in doing that, saying that we're looking behind us rather than ahead of us in the table. And they've built up that significant gap now between themselves and Wren, who are fifth, nine points. And at the very least, this makes it clear that Lille are going to qualify for Europe again. They've got to have more elevated ambitions than that and aim for the Champions League spot and aim to keep the pressure on Paris Saint-Germain. My sneaking suspicion is still that Lyon are the best equipped to challenge PSG for the title. Interesting. I I found it quite funny listening to Jose Font after the game because the uh, pitch side interviewer on French telly was desperate to get him to say, yes, we can win the title. And he was just, you know, all his experience, 37, he's like, yeah, no, it's all about winning the next game. And now we're going to focus on the next game. And no, no, you can say what you like. And uh, just taking it in stride. One of the most frustrating questions that's asked by French interviewers, though, uh, alors, est-ce que vous jouez le titre? Uh, What are you hoping to get from that question? Not that I like to criticise our fellow professionals in the media. Well, you know that Jose Font is going to, you know, flat bat it back. Um, whereas uh, Dave's looking at the cricket score. Just as soon as I said that, you're, you're looking at England against Sri Lanka. Focus. England have won. England have won against yeah. Sri Lanka. That, that, <laughs> that's good news. Get the focus back, boys. Um, Liga- I'm focused. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think um, it's a danger... For for Lille, I think they have an excellent defence, and and Jose Font we know is a just a superb professional as well, and looks after himself. And I don't want anyone to get injured. But looking at their bench, they have substitutes all over the park except in defence. And we've got Ronaldo playing at left back at the moment. I think if not a weak link, he's a he's a player that's yet to reach his. I'll tell you his what, peak. Rob, I I agree. I saw him as a weak link. He was filling in for Braderich at, mm-hmm. at the weekend, and he really did well against yeah. Yeah, no, uh, against, physical, against Jeremy Doku. Yeah. Doku's playing very well, but yeah, Ranilda did 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 extremely well. But you're right. I mean, they've sold Sumaro, haven't mm-hmm. they? Who was exactly. their backup at, at centre back? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a risk. If if suspension, it doesn't take much to 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 upset a finely a finely balanced machine. Well, as far as the uh, standings are concerned, Paris Saint-Germain is still above Lille on goal difference. Those two are two points um, above Lyon. Uh, we mentioned Monaco not, not far behind, but it was a bad weekend for Rennes. They're, they're cut off somewhat. A big victory at the weekend for Nice. Yusuf Attal um, getting uh, a much-needed win for Adrian Ursia's side. They beat Lens 1-0. Um, Mets also going great guns under Frederic Antonetti. They defeated Raymond Dominic's Nantes by two goals to nil. Nantes still without a win under Dominic and uh, going close to the relegation zone. Now, Raus uh, defeated Brest by one goal to nil. Dijon managed to get a point at home against Strasbourg. They are still fighting. And Nîmes against Lorient was uh, was postponed due to COVID in the Lorient ranks. Um, we're going to look at the transfer situation now. The transfer window open for, for a few more days. Um, quite busy uh, at the moment in Marseille, where Morgan Sanson has uh, completed a switch to Aston Villa for 16 million euros. Arkadiusz Milik, the Polish striker we know, has has joined Marseille, has already made his debut. And um, Dave, I think Pablo Longoria, the uh, sporting director at Marseille, is hoping to get one or two more deals done before the end of the window. Yeah, maybe we'll see Amin Arit come in from Schalke. But he was really good, I thought, before he made that move to the Bundesliga. And I could see him fitting in well at Marseille. 
And one player we didn't mention in our Marseille chat who's really disappointed me this season is Cuisance, who I'd not seen much of uh, when he was playing in France, but came in with the big reputation from Bayern Munich as being a creative midfielder. Um, he's only showed that in flashes. And whether Aritz will be an upgrade on Cuisance, we'll have to see. I, I, they've got fundamental problems and it's reminding me a little bit of when they recruited the likes of Sabah Khalifa and Modu Sogu. It's a bit dispiriting really to see Marseille reduced to having to recruit second and third choice players. Uh, Milik's in, in a different category. Milik, I think, has the potential to to do what Balotelli did a couple of years ago. He's a class player who's just hit a, a difficult situation in his career and will want to prove himself at Marseille. As for the others, I that there's no magic wand there. But Longoria, yeah, he's got to prove himself. But what are they building towards? And we've, they've been through so many projects and names of projects in the the Vincent Labrune era, and then nowadays in the in the Aero era with Frank McCord as the owner. I'm who knows, who knows. Maybe the cheapest thing would be to get Tovan and Payet to start talking to each other again and and getting on better. But uh, no, it's going to be, yeah, you sense it's going to be a tough few weeks coming up for for Marseille. Um, A couple of rumours. West Ham, we know, looking for a striker and they're looking to Ligue 1. Boulay Dia and Gaetan Laborde both being linked with with a move to South London or East London. Robbie, um, first question, which of those two would you buy if you were West Ham? Second question, if you were Boulay Dia or Gaetan Laborde, would you move to West Ham? Um, I would probably buy Gaetan Laborde just because I think physically his work rate, his his quality are more suited to English football maybe than Bull Idea. I think Bull Idea has still lots more room for improvement and maybe in a year or year and a half he'll be ready for for a move like that. I think this is his first really good season in Ligue 1. I think he's an excellent player, as as we know, um, and I think he's got a, a big future in the game. He's only just broken into the Senegal national team. He He's scoring goals for a run side that aren't scoring many, so he's a, he's clearly a good player. Um, but I think he's got more room to room for improvement than Gaetan Laborde, who I think is a more finished product. Laborde perhaps more ready, more ready in yeah. terms of the stage of his career. Yeah, I think so. And I really like Gaetan Laborde. I think he's an excellent player as for the second part of your question then would I go um well look I'm not Gaten Laborde I don't know how much money he needs how much uh what new challenge he needs how he's how he's feeling I mean that's a it's a personal choice um for him to make but you know things are going well for him at Montpellier so why not stick it out to the end of the season and, and see yep. from there? It's always a risk to move mid-season. That is what Crepin Diata has done. The Senegalese international has joined Monaco. Big money move again. We're seeing several uh, big transfers between the Belgian top flight and the French top flight. So Diata joining Monaco from Club Bruges for 17 million euros. Dave, um, what, what, what do you think? We know Monaco tend to be good judges when it comes to talent. This fella, Diata has scored 10 goals already this season. He's only 21 years of age. They are good judges, but then they've got a, a mixed success rate. If you look at the percentage success rate for every, I don't know, for every Kevin Volant, there's a Henry Onyakuru, for example. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a, a decent signing. He's, he's scored a lot of goals for, for Club Bruges. And I think Kovac likes the idea of having a, a quick player out wide. Jelson Martins has been doing that to compensate for the lack of pace of Kevin Volant and Wissam Benyedo. Benyedo's got really quick feet, but he's not the fastest over the ground. Volant has a, a great understanding 
of, of the game and is a, a perfect foil for Ben Yedder. But I think it, it does add threat to them if they've got someone without an out pace. And I, I think that's what they're hoping to get from that signing. A couple of uh, emails we've received. Uh, Richard Pike, what do you think of Nice deciding to loan Danilo Barbosa to CSK Moscow for the remainder of the season? What's your overall opinion of this player? Robbie, we, we haven't seen a lot of Danilo Barbosa at uh, at Nice, have we? No, last season he played quite a bit in the middle of the park as a sort of number six um, holding midfielder. He he never really settled. He's a young central defender slash number six. Um, I don't think we saw the best of him at Nice. I don't think he really had the, the, the favours of, of Patrick Vieira. I don't think Patrick really thought he was the player that Nice needed. So that, that never helps um, for, a, for a young player who's in a... In a new country, I know he didn't. He didn't speak very much French. I know that he, he, you know, he hung around with Dante a lot as as his as his interpreter, his man, if you like, in the, in the changing room. Look, I don't think he'll be necessarily hugely missed, but at, at Nice. But having said that, I think I saw little bits of him where I think he was that player that Nice could use in that number six role. But they, Nice just had too many problems elsewhere that that it it never worked for him. Another uh, email, Peter Dunmore in York in the UK. Um, Thank you for your email, Peter. And uh, listeners, if you do write in, let us know where you're from. We always like to know um, where our listeners are are living. Uh, So Peter asks about Loic Bade, the very talented young Lance uh, defender, having his first season in the top flight. Um, He's doing very well. Peter points out he's noticeably very good on the ball, which should see big suitors interested. What do you reckon uh, to Loic Bade, Dave? Really good. Could do with another season, I reckon, in the top flight. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's the, the main man or has been the main man for most of the season in that Lance defence. Um, even though they've got far more experienced players in their squad, the likes of Stephen Fortes, who used to be their captain. He's been out of the team, kept out of the team by Bade for a lot of the first bit of the season. And no, I think he's got great potential. I think he, he does need a, a few more games in the top flight before anyone thinks about a move for him. League One Podcast at gmail.com. If you do have any questions that you want to ask. Now, uh, we're recording this Monday lunchtime and I am hearing um, or I'm reading on the BBC website that Frank Lampard has been sacked by Chelsea. The BBC are reporting that Chelsea are expected to appoint Thomas Tuchel. Robbie, who... Uh, um, was reporting on PSG, is still reporting on PSG, but uh, spent plenty of time interviewing Thomas Tuchel. Um, what do you make of this news? Um, I'm a bit surprised to to see him, if if it turns out to be true, to go straight into a club. But maybe he feels, you know, you don't want to miss the boat. He had a year out of the game in between Dortmund. Well, a bit more than a year out of the game in between Dortmund and Paris Saint Germain. Um, and maybe having done it that way, he's going to see what it what it means to move straight to a to another big club. He'd be reunited with Thiago Silva, which I think uh, would be there was plenty of respect between those two players. Um, and look, if it if it happens for Thomas, what can I what can I say? I can say that he'll be a fabulous to work with with the, all the people, not the players, but the people at the club of Chelsea. He's a he's a jovial, positive, friendly friendly guy. Um, I think he is probably quite suited to English football as well. If he can put his his plans in place, a la Jurgen Klopp, you know, it's a it's a he wants to play aggressive, pressing football. He 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 likes the idea of playing positive football all the time. We know they've spent a lot of money. We know he knows Timo Werner, Werner very well, obviously as a, his compatriot. So look, there are plenty of reasons why 
it should work, um, and I think he'd be suited to a to a to English football. My only question would be: I would have thought after the the trials and tribulations of of two and a half years at Paris Saint Germain that perhaps you'd just like a little break, but maybe not. Dave, do you reckon? Um what Robbie alluded to there, the fact that Chelsea has spent a lot of money, in particular on, on two German players, yeah. Kai Havertz and, and Timo Werner. Has that, do, do you think that influences this Chelsea decision if indeed, they, if indeed they no, made that No, I was going to mention Havertz. I mean, having spent all that money, they're not seeing the best of two very talented players and Tuchel will be able to talk to them in their own language. Who knows, maybe they can be joined by another German. There's his spiritual son, Draxler, could do with a, a move. Well, you say that, but well, you know when when. Well, two, let's just anticipate the two, rumors. There are going to be a lot of rumors of of PSG players in the next two weeks, ten days before the gen. What is it? January January transfer window closes probably, in a week. But Robbie, are, are there any Tilo, players? Yeah, yeah. Are there any players PSG are looking to offload that could interest Chelsea? Because I mean, they're not going to PSG are not going to let them have a, a Di Maria or a you know a top line player, are they? It depends what the what, what the, the money. politics are at the club <laughs> and how much money Paris Saint Germain need to raise. Uh, if they need to raise, do they need to sell? There have been plenty of rumours in the French press that that Leonardo needs to sell for for fifty or sixty million euros to to try and balance the books a little bit. I think what we will see at Chelsea is we'll see the Tuchel charm offensive, like when he first joined Paris Saint Germain. People are going to love him in the first few months, and then maybe. As it seems to be a repeated pattern, Dortmund and at PSG, maybe we'll see a different Tuchel next year or the year after. Will we see Thiago Silva spraying him with champagne if they win their first game, as as he did at yes, and at he, PSG. He, he sang as well in the in the press conference. He 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 sang a song, Thomas Tuchel. No, he'll he'll get along great with the squad. He's a he's a he's a players coach. I think, you know, I look it's. They've got no coach at the moment, so I they think, could yeah. do worse than Thomas Tuchel. And I think we all like him. I mean, I know Armel Tangi, uh, who's often on the podcast, is a big fan of Thomas Tuchel. And I think, you know, overall, he's, he's left a big impression. Paris Saint-Germain is not an easy job for any coach. It doesn't mean you're a, you're a bad coach if you don't win the Champions League with Paris Saint-Germain. And he actually very nearly did win the Champions League with Paris Saint-Germain. Exactly. So we will watch this space. That almost brings us to an end. We're going to have a little uh, look ahead to the weekend's fixtures, as we love to. We're going to decide which game we would like to take in. It's time for a Bon Voyage. Well, the week 22 action kicks off with Lyon against Bordeaux. You can watch that uh, in the UK at 8pm. It's uh, a nine o'clock kickoff in France. Other big matches, Saturday night, Marseille versus Rennes. 9pm French time. That's also on BT Sport on Saturday night. Um, We can see if Raymond Dominic can get a victory. Nantes playing Monaco. That's the the late game on Sunday. 9 o'clock in France. Watch it in the UK on BT Sport at 8pm. Robbie Thompson, where do you want to go? Um, Just a word on the fixtures in general this weekend. We saw a lot of of top-of-the-table-ish, high, you know, head-to-head clashes Last weekend, I think we had four really big matches that everyone was looking forward to. Now we're seeing some very dangerous matches for, for some of the, the smaller clubs. Matches where you'd expect the big team to win. Paris Saint-Germain top versus bottom Lorient. Uh, Lille against Dijon. Uh, I saw another one somewhere as well. Um, but these are matches that you know are very dangerous for, for, the, for the lower placed clubs where they'll be trying to, to just limit the damage. And must wins for the for the big teams. 
And then Marseille Rennes. This is surely last chance saloon for Marseille. I'll go there to see that. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. David Crossan. Uh, I'm going to go on holiday with Robbie Thompson in that case because I'm missing the sunshine, I'm missing the beach and I've had a look ahead. It's 14 degrees and a little bit sunny in Marseille and it's a big game because both sides need to bounce back after their recent disappointments. All right, well, I'm going to go to Nantes to see if Raymond Dominic can get his first victory since a friendly win over Costa Rica back in 2010, uh, just before just before the World Cup. It's been a long wait for Raymond and uh, the Nantes fans, uh, I'm sure, would like to see a victory, but... It'll be tough against Monaco. Plenty of exciting games to look forward to. We do hope you've enjoyed the podcast uh, today. Thank you very much for listening in. We'll be back next week, of course, from Robbie Thompson, David Crossan and myself, Matt Spiro. It's time to say au revoir. Et à bientôt. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beautifully done. Sensational. 